you look at the repetitive tasks which are monotonous tasks and uh, that's where you actually focus on in the beginning so you let's say you identify a certain process in a factory floor or a warehouse you look at that there is a repetitive pattern that these are the tasks and this is the sop and which can be replicated by the automation system that's a good way to start and start looking at building something on the hardware as well as the software side so that you can get that monotonous job done in a better way rather than doing it manually uh, in terms of uh, the value add it should of course have some value add on the floor uh, just because you can automate you should not automate like uh, you, there should be some value add or some impact on the operations or on the customers so uh, let's say uh, what is the productivity improvement whether people are doing much more with the robots whether you are able to increase the accuracy whether you are able to increase the speed whether you are reducing the touch points so those are other buckets you look at and you technically can uh, make a business case and and if the business case make is, is good enough or it's attractive that's a good sign that you should work on automation hello and welcome to the startup operator podcast i'm roshan karepa if this is your first time here we curate insights from india's best founders operators and investors learn all of the nuances of building and scaling a startup On this episode we have Pramod Gharge the co-founder and CEO of Unbox Robotics speaking about what it takes to build and scale a hardware startup we discuss how customer acquisition works what drives their product roadmap how software standards have evolved how they plan to grow and expand over the next 18 months and other nuances of the logistics and supply chains space that Unbox operates in Before we dive in if you like our content don't forget to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platforms it helps more people discover us and also a shout out to our sponsors this episode is brought to you by Park Avenue more about them later in the podcast without further ado here is Pramod co-founder and CEO of Unbox Robotics listen in hey pramod welcome to the startup operator podcast thank you so much for making the time thank you roshan it's a pleasure to be on the uh, podcast uh, looking forward Awesome. I know that we've gone back and forth. Uh, I was really keen on this conversation because you know we don't have a lot of hardware startups, and certainly we don't have a lot uh, working in robotics and those kind of things, right? Uh, so really keen to understand how your space is and how you're executing. Let's start with that. Actually, you know, I mean, we don't have a lot of hardware startups. What are some of the nuances of building a hardware startup? You know, because I understand, you know, it's not as simple as uh, you know the the whole fail fast methodology that you know we follow in software or consumer tech as yeah. such. So, what are some of those nuances? Yeah. So, generally, the the advice is given to the founders that you build an MVP and then you try to fail fast and you iterate to the next version. Some principles do apply here as well in the hardware startup space. However, there are let's say a few the details or nuances uh, people in the hardware category need to understand. Like especially when you are trying to sell to the enterprise customers who are actually like looking at uptime and all the highest level level of reliability metrics within their factories or warehouses. So even your MVP should not really uh, hamper their operations. So what can be advised is you select the key features to start with. You build an MVP. uh maybe a working prototype which can do its job in a limited functionality or with a limited set of features you don't go 
overboard with the feature list of uh, like different features on your robot or let's say whatever hardware device you have you take the initial feedback from the customer uh, from a poc kind of a proof of concept or a demo trial and you start iterating based on that feedback so it's always better to do these mvp testing inside the customer facilities or working very closely with the customer so that you get the feedback early on rather than building the product in silos and you come up with a product with a list of features and then you fail because it takes time to iterate from one merger to other it's better to keep your customers very close to you invite them for the demos deploy your system maybe initially you may need to do it free of charge when you do it like a very small trial or demo but the customer feedback is super important because the cost of rework and the iterations are very high compared to what we have in the mvps of software world so that that's definitely an advice which like i have based on whatever i, I have experience with unbox yeah that's uh, quite different from what i thought which is that you know anything in deep tech or uh, r&d as such i mean we kind of imagine people toiling away at labs or you know on the floor you know very very siloed from customers or business as such but what you're saying is you know you have to build with the customer because the the cost of iteration as you mentioned is pretty high right how do you develop this mindset how do you develop this thinking is it something that you know you've always had or something that you had to learn through failure and so on so in our case uh, what we did was we uh, were part of a program called entrepreneur first it's a it's a it's a vc fund which has these different cohorts running across different geographies in global context so they had launched their cohort in india as well and we i and my founder co-founder uh, were part of that cohort and in that program we started with the concept and we started validating that concept rather than directly building a prototype so we ended up talking to a lot of customers potential customers globally like logistics e-commerce player retail player those are the kind of industries we typically target today so we validated the concept that okay we will end up building this product in the coming time coming months will you be interested to take a paid trial or a paid uh, let's say installation so kind of for getting a sense of the from the market before you actually start putting a lot of effort on the product because in our case our product was a multi robot system so even our prototype system is like 5 10 robots coming together and working right so it's kind of an expensive affair to even at the beginning so we had to do that validation uh, beforehand and then we started getting the interest from customers we started giving updates that okay hey this is our first prototype this is how it works this is the next road map this is this is what we will do in the next coming few months then people started looking at the videos started coming to our facilities looking at it closely giving their feedback and it's not a feedback only from the product perspective or only from one department we used to get feedback from different perspectives so the so let's say we deploy our robots on the operations floor so uh, their feedback can be on the ergonomics so the person who is using our system we have to consider that end user so all these feedbacks you cannot get in your lab you have to get feedback from the people who are actually on the ground and who are going to use your product so you need to be in sync with what people want ultimately you are building something to solve somebody's problem if you can't just sell a pure as simple as it's cool you can't sell it so so although individually robots look cool it looks great that okay bunch of robots doing something but it has to be in sync with what people want and they want to pay money for so yeah yeah no it's a great point i mean oftentimes i think we are blinded by the coolness of the tech as such i think it's very important to understand that the tech is a means to an end 
and you really have to solve for the customer right and in that sense i mean the voice of the customer must be heard how do you pick the problem and the concept right i mean you did spend some time uh, you know after nus uh, at flipkart and so on uh, and you have a background in robotics robotics obviously but uh, how do you pick the specific problem that you're solving with unbox right now so this problem came in a way through my journey at flipkart so largely my background has been in the industry 4.0 Uh, sectors so be it iot 3d printing robotics across last uh, almost 10 years now post my btech so i used to spend time within let's say startup ecosystems in singapore then i also spent some time in israel then came back to india to work with flipkart at flipkart uh, my job was to deploy automation for them so i was on the other side of the table looking at different technologies uh, warehouse automation solutions robotic systems and to deploy them in sync with again the same thing in sync with the exact end user who is working on the operations field or operations floor be it to improve the efficiency reliability so we looked at uh, view i used to deploy uh, these systems and i ended up observing some of the gaps within the existing systems which are typically doing the sortation of packages or distribution of packages because of my first hand experience like while actually going there on ground and deploying these systems with my team so that was the focus or let's say that was the exposure for me that okay these are the gaps and this is a gap globally it's not just a gap in the indian ecosystem but these kind of products are kind of available globally and this is a problem which is a global problem so i just had to validate that okay whether this is intense or whether this is a problem great enough problem in terms of the uh, the scale of the problem then i started talking to customers across geographies before we actually deep dive and spend our own time uh, building this product so uh, so flipkart was the platform for me to because they gave us the gave me the exposure to this industry and I ended up spending almost 3 more than 3 years at flipkart and looking at this problem very closely and then eventually i took a call that okay i want to solve this problem uh, at that time uh, when i quit i had just a concept in my mind and my with, with my co-founder and just a hypothesis that okay this is what we will build this is how it will cost this is how it will save money this is how it will uh, let's say look like all those things were in concept stage and we started interacting with customers including flipkart that okay this is what we want to build and people started getting interested and uh, started giving lois like letter of intent to to take a trial whenever we are ready so Amazing. so that was the background uh, but yeah it was a kind of a calculated approach not like a, a approach where i wanted to build something and then try to sell i was i was very sure about the problem the problem existed it was about building the right solution and then of course then you tweak it or iterate it after uh, one uh, one iteration after the other so that is of course a natural phenomenon which happened in the last 3 years but at least we knew what we wanted to build amazing so so far you have spoken like a ceo i'm going to ask you to wear a techies hat for a bit uh, right and we're going to take a short detour and talk about some of the recent developments in robotics and so on right i mean obviously some of the larger companies like amazon or flipkart all of them are investing a ton of uh, cash and resources uh, in this entire fulfillment uh, space as such and, and you know once in a while the boston dynamics team releases one of those dancing robots and you know we think that you know they're going to capture the world tomorrow right i mean we're going to be run by robots on the streets and what not what are some of the recent exciting developments in this uh, domain what has happened in the last like let's say couple of years or so that that you know makes the isaac asimov sort of a dream uh, near reality so i think uh, a lot of innovation has happened across the robotics 
systems across industries. So uh, be it logistics automation or manufacturing uh, focused automation. If you look at the robotic arms or mobile robots, there are different types of robotic systems. But what has happened is the technology has advanced so much that uh, it has become relatively, I wouldn't say a lot easier, but yeah, relatively easier to, to manufacture robot within a certain budget constraints or within a certain cost limit. For example, to manufacture an, a mobile robot now versus maybe 10 years ago, it was a different kind of a challenge. So a lot of innovation has happened there uh, uh, across computing, across the manufacturing sectors, getting the prototypes done, even on the software front, which are actually controlling the robot. A lot of advancements have happened there so that the robots have become efficient in terms of cost, in terms of performance. So this is going to continue and this is a continuation process because this is what industry needs. So ultimately these solutions are being built except for a few ones which are just right now, it just looks cool but may not have the application right away. But technically this is also advancement in terms of technology and eventually there will be a point where even those cool looking robots may find some applications in the market. So this is a natural phenomenon. We have seen a bunch of a lot of progress across adoption of robots, right from, let's say, somewhere around 2010, there was a lot less percentage adoption of robots across the industries, be it logistics or manufacturing, when Amazon had acquired Kiva. And if you see the pattern afterwards, there are a bunch of companies which have come up in the industry with different types of systems, robotic systems, trying to solve certain problems in the industry. And this is just a scratching the surface because we're still in the beginning uh, era of, in terms of, if you look at uh, the number of robots deployed per capita uh, globally or within regions like China, India, US, uh, we are still in the beginning uh, mode, I would say. So yeah, th th there's going, going to be a huge progress in terms of technology. Uh, access to technology is going to be a lot easier. The cost of manufacturing robots is going to be much lesser and that will drive the adoption in the market because if people see value uh, getting these robots in the warehouses or factory floors, of course, people will want to scale up the deployments. Uh, having said that, uh, we also need to make sure the safety and uh, the ergonomic aspects of the systems are taken care of because ultimately we are dealing with humans. So uh, we need to build something which can be de deployed along with humans, right? Technically, you need to have some safety mechanisms to uh, make sure people can use that kind of system. Right. We're going to take a slightly longer detour as well. And, and from a, you know, I'm, I'm tempted to ask from a layperson's perspective, right? What is the one-on-one of building a robot? Now, let's say you want to automate a task, etc. Where do you even begin? So generally, uh, they say that you look at the repetitive tasks, which are monotonous tasks. And uh, that's where you actually focus on in the beginning. So you, let's say you identify a certain process in a factory floor or a warehouse. You look at that there is a repetitive pattern that these are the tasks and this is the SOP and which can be replicated by the automation system. That's a good way to start and start looking at building something on the hardware as well as the software side so that you can get that monotonous job done in a better way rather than doing it manually. If there are any exceptions, they can be probably handled manually or you can build the software intelligently that even the exceptions can be control to a certain extent. So that's the way to look at it. And second thing is uh, in terms of uh, the value add, it should of course have some value add on the floor. Uh, just because you can automate, you should not automate. Like uh, you, there should be some value add or some impact on the operations or on the customers. So uh, let's say uh, what is the productivity improvement? 
whether people are doing much more with the robots whether you are able to increase the accuracy whether you are able to increase the speed whether you are reducing the touch points so those are other buckets you look at and you technically can uh, make a business case and and if the business case make is is good enough or it's attractive that's a good sign that you should work on automation right and are the manufacturing components etc i mean is it easily available here in india or it's something that you have to import from taiwan or china and elsewhere so uh, so in our case we have a factory set up in pune where we manufacture our robots in terms of the quantum uh, most of our parts are built in india or made in india some of the parts which are te- te- typically sensors or some motors few parts come from overseas markets like uh, from from europe from china but most of the parts are manufactured here so and and we we own the entire assembly uh, of our product so we we do have like our own capability to make our own robot design our own robot so right from this design to assembly of our robots is done by our team and we also have seen a lot of progress in indian market in terms of the uh, support six system right be it manufacturing or uh, on the battery side there are a lot of development happening so these things are positive signs that even india will have a, a robust ecosystem we can take support from uh, in, in the earlier days it was not easy to uh, build this kind of company i think we are progressing to a uh in in terms of a good let's say path yeah awesome and you've decided to apply all of this uh, in the fulfillment space right and it seems uh, fairly obvious when you when you say automating repetitive tasks and wherever efficiency is of a higher importance right i mean i was just reading that amazon has gone from 1 in 1000 errors uh, for a packer to saying that you know 1 in 2000 boxes right i mean which is crazy and there's a certain limit that humans will obviously hit and so you know any kind of meaningful drive forward will have to be through automation right and which is why i mean they've kind of invested in in uh, not just the kiva robotics but also they i think they've invested in these autonomous cars and and what not uh, to enable that when you look at this fulfillment space you know what are some challenges of solving in this space particularly like as an i mean are all fulfillment centers somewhat similar uh, do they have different priorities and so on yeah so in terms of the overall space let's look at it from the supply chain network point of view so supply chain network has bunch of facilities so you can have a pickup hub where you're take, let's say uh, you, you can have a let's say a small hub where you are getting the shipments uh you can have a fulfillment center in the beginning where you are storing the shipments or pack storing and then packing those ship- shipments and then you're dispatching it uh, and then you have a sorting center where you you basically sort those packages as per different locations of those packages uh, so there can be multiple sort centers uh, within the network and then eventually it goes to a delivery hub and then you deliver the package and delivery hub also sorts packages to the end customer and you also have return centers because customers Uh, return packages let's say in the fashion category the return percentage is very high so you may have 20 30% packages coming back out of 100 packages so you need to sort them back to the origins from you picked up so these are different types of facilities and with the different types of slas or different targets some facilities are meant to store packages and pack those items some facilities are focusing on sorting the items as early as possible and shipping it out so Uh, tech but fundamentally every facility will try to uh, have a very very low tat or turnaround time right from the inbound of the shipment to outbound of the shipment they will try to minimize the time uh, taken by the shipment so while you do that you 
technically you want to be efficient as efficient as possible you want to pick up faster you want to pack faster you want to sort faster and this is where automation come into picture so the automation plays a role in speeding things up second thing is as you are aware maybe like on in the in terms of the real estate for example in india we have about 20000 plus pin codes where people are delivering packages and a lot of tier 2 and tier 3 places in indian scenario are demanding faster delivery speeds and people are opening up warehouses near urban clusters or in expensive areas it's very very important that you do the job in least possible square footage rather than occupying a huge warehouse or a huge field so you need automation which can do it faster at the same time do it in a much lesser space than than what the traditional systems have been doing otherwise you can't scale up uh, so people are finding new ways where automation can do this both things together one is speed things up at a highest possible accuracy and do it in a much 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 more uh, uh, let's say smaller space the third thing which can be a downside in some of the automation systems is some automation systems may require a huge uh, infrastructure so people may not want to deploy those in the facilities whose rental periods or forecast is not beyond let's say one year like people may want to relocate somewhere else and they may see automation as a hurdle this is where the plug and play automation comes into picture where it almost acts as flexible as a automation as a manual process putting the robots or plug and play systems in a matter of days for example in worst case scenario if you want to relocate after 6 months you can always relocate in a maybe pack the automation system in a couple of days and you ship it outside to a different facility wherever you want to go so building compact efficient and uh, a plug and play system is something this is just a large theme so i am talking about large requirements coming from the industry this is what the industry needs and this is applicable across functions like uh, like across processes in the warehouse so we are focusing on several of them so we are focusing on things related to uh, let's say distribution of packages so it can be parcel sorting it can be order consolidation these are some of the terms which we use generally in the industry so we kind of uh, use our system to automate this process using minimal area and kind of in a very plug and play fashion this episode of the startup operator podcast is brought to you by park avenue now that we're all back at the office meeting colleagues and clients It's time to ditch those PJs and look sharp with Park Avenue's range of 100% cotton wrinkle-free shirts. They're super easy to maintain and keep you looking fresh through the day. So my fellow startup operators, visit the Park Avenue store or myraymond.com and check out the new wrinkle-free shirt collection. Right. I'm curious, you know, how long does it take to deploy, you know, from understanding what is required to actually like uh, you know, deploying those robots uh and then maybe you know if they have to change things up and move to a different facility etc you know how how easy or difficult is that so if i if i look at our example so generally the deployment time is in 1 to 2 weeks time frame so right from the let's say you enter the facility and you go live uh in terms of installation it takes several days or maybe a couple of weeks in some cases we have done deployments in a single day like almost a single day in one of the hubs uh we had deployed our robots in of course it depends on the scale but generally we target less than 2 weeks of deployment because our systems are quite plug and play so you technically consider this more of a ikea kind of approach it's all modular things we try to design our systems in a modular fashion so that the end installation is very quick for the customer so the goal is always about lowering down the installation time so that the 
operations team on ground can go like quicker or if they have existing operations going in and automation deployment disturbs them it should be a minimal disturbance to them if the automation system is getting deployed in a brownfield project where the actual operation is still in place having a six months kind of a deployment time is is going to hamper or disturb the flow of the operations uh, process so, so it's always good to have quick time to deploy uh, so that that's the kind of time frame we target uh, with our systems right and these systems also have to plug into some existing infrastructure right and not I'm, i don't just mean physical but also like software infrastructure as well and one thing that you know i've noticed uh, with the whole industry uh, 4.0 or iot as well the the fact that the software standards haven't really evolved as much is a challenge right i mean compared to like let's say you know software development as such uh normal software development as such right on the enterprise or consumer side of things let's say saas or whatever how do you deal with that i mean because every time you deploy your system i mean you might be having to integrate with different uh, types of uh, software different type of stack and so on right yeah so, uh, so there are two types of let's say integration options uh, two ways integration can happen one is certain companies might be using off the shelf standard wms or uh, standard erp systems for example we can build pre integrated modules or pre integrated wrappers so that it becomes plug and play so integration efforts are much lesser if you are integrating it with the standard industry solutions like in wms or warehouse management system or the erp kind of systems in some cases you may have to deploy it with the in house built wms for a particular customer in that case depending on how let's say how the overall structure of the software is you may have to put in some additional efforts or maybe lesser effort depending on the customer to customer in some cases you may need to do some kind of hand holding and maybe you need to spend maybe a one more week uh, than what you expected uh, in those cases but that's the that's what the industry is at, at today uh, because uh, it, it, the, the space is not yet standard in terms of the usage of wmss or, uh, or erp systems but it's it's not a very very let's say a big challenge we have come across so far of course with the whatever limited experience we have in the last one year of deployment but uh, but this is something is can 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 be a, sol a soluble problem yeah right yeah and i think i mean it might take time but obviously i mean it's tending towards that right i mean it's tending yeah. towards yeah. standardization it's tending towards that it's it's not so at least the industry uh, is going to a automation ready phase so people are becoming automation ready as the more digital digitalization of warehouses and the overall supply chain is becoming the more uh, easy uh, to to kind of uh, have communication between two systems the more easy to deploy the automation right so uh, that part is getting solved gradually so so yeah and what are some of the common use cases that you're serving within this whole fulfillment space itself and you know how is your customer acquisition sort of working at this point yeah so in terms of the use cases we uh, typically uh, have several of them so one use case can be let's say you are sorting items uh, as per the uh, different zip codes pin codes or let's say different delivery regions uh, let's say you you run an e-commerce company and you have a sorting center and you want to sort let's say uh, uh, 30000 packages a day in couple of shifts maybe 16 hours so roughly you are looking at sorting 2000 parcels per hour and you are serving let's say 200 pin codes or 200 points uh, delivery points so you may want to set up a sortation process 
to sort these many packages into those many destinations. So each destination, you may have a bag or a container uh, where you want to sort those packages. So this is one process which we automate, uh, one type of process which we automate. So where you are looking at the customer data, as in customer, as in parcel data, where that package belongs to, and you put that package in the right location. So if the parcel is going to a hub in Pune, uh, I'll put that parcel in the bag which belongs to Pune Hub uh, using that robot. Uh, and the integration helps us identify uh, or let's say capture the data when we scan that barcode on the parcel. So, so this is one type of process which typically happens in the sortation center and as well as in the delivery hubs where in delivery hubs also people do sortation as per the last mile routes people take. Let's say a delivery guy is uh, taking a route in a particular sector. I may want to create a bag for his route. Uh, so I might have, let's say, 10 delivery people from one delivery hub, and I might want to create 10 bags for them. So I need to sort as per those routes. So this is another use case uh, our system can solve. And then the other sort of use cases uh, where, let's say you, you have multiple orders or multiple items under one order. Let's say you order T-shirt, phone, and jeans. Uh, from an e-commerce company uh, and it, it belongs to a certain facility let's say it is coming from a single warehouse they may want to ship those things together as one consolidated order here i need to sort as per your order id so let's say i am sorting this t-shirt and jeans and phone as per roshan's order i'll put those three things in a particular tote and that tote will be passed to a packing station and ultimately it will get packed so I might have thousands of orders where I am doing this sorting activity as per the orders. So this is another use case our robots can do. Our robots can do the automation of this entire order consolidation process. The third thing is the returns. So, so you have written packages and typically written packages are not of good quality. So people may have written it with bad, maybe torn out packages or maybe with very, very bad quality uh, uh, poly bag or kind of a not so sophisticated package you have when you begin the journey in the written packages is very bad so our robots also sort those packages uh, as per the origin these are some of the use cases which we are let's say have been working on or have already deployed um, the use cases can come in the retail industry or e-commerce industry or a 3pl uh, uh, domain a 3pl industry or even the other sectors some of the sectors have approached us recently like some of the companies if the other sectors have also approached us, be it pharma or even manufacturing may have use cases uh, for these processes. So, but largely the processes are same, like uh, fundamentally the logic wise, it's all same. Right. And how are you finding your uh, customers today? I mean, do you have like an outbound sales team? Is there a lot of inbound interest? Uh, do you have partnerships? How are you growing the business? What we have done is so far, uh, we have done a limited uh, effort on the marketing and sales so far. Uh, we do have plans to uh, put in uh, uh, relatively higher efforts in the coming year with the increased time, team size in sales and marketing. But so far, uh, our sales have been mostly driven from inbound and from our own network in the industry. So a lot of time it's an inbound from, let's say, a customer in India or overseas. People have started reaching out to us, looking at maybe our post on LinkedIn, maybe on YouTube. Uh, they might have seen a video uh, and then they are reaching out. So that's the kind of pattern we have seen. But as we try to, as we are looking at scaling up in the coming year, uh, we are looking at uh, acquiring the customers through digital as well as offline channels. So it can be a industry exhibition or expo, uh, let's say a logistic expo, uh, or let's say it can be a, a, a 
social media, LinkedIn marketing, or email marketing. Those are some of the avenues which you are looking at in the coming year. Uh, but that that's the that's the plan for the coming year. But largely so far, it's uh, it's mostly inbound or network. And what can we expect on your product roadmap? I mean, is there a plan to get beyond the fulfillment centers? Uh, maybe you know, launch drones and uh, autonomous vehicles and all of those things. We actually we have a lot of things going on within the same use cases or within the same industry that uh, we are just at the uh, let's say the beginning. Like we are just scratching the surface as we deploy our products. We are getting a lot of requirements from customers to enrich the same set of systems. So we are looking at introducing new types of robots within the same fulfillment category uh, to address new cases, let's say edge cases where our robots, let's say can sort larger packages or heavy payload packages or automating the pre and post sorting part. So a lot of those things are happening at this point. So we are focusing on that. So our, our goal is to give the best possible efficient system to our customers and fulfill that. Uh, but we do have some plans to introduce new robots and new systems uh, within the same category. Uh, we may want to explore the areas in the manufacturing and the other industries uh, beyond fulfillment in the coming years. But today we are kind of getting a lot of, let's say, bandwidth uh, allocated to the existing set of uh, uh, areas of focus. So uh, mostly fulfillment uh, related work. Yeah. No, I mean, if you talk to your customers, they will give you a product roadmap for the next five years, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 So in the next 18 months, right? I mean, do you have active plans to sort of internationalize uh, as well? Because, uh, you know, I mentioned drones, some of the drone providers that I've spoken to have done really well internationally as well. So we've gone from importing drones to actually exporting drones on that front. And I think something similar can, can happen in this as well, right? In the whole fulfillment space. Uh, and robotics and so on. So yeah, any, anything on that front? So globally, this problem is a global problem. Whatever we are solving is a global problem. It's not just limited to uh, our uh, our country. So we are also looking at the global markets, Western market, as well as Southeast Asian market. We are planning to uh, deploy something in the coming year in the European region. We also have uh, uh, one expo, like logistic expo coming up in Chicago in the US in March, where we will be dis uh, displaying our robots there. And we're already talking to some of the retail logistics companies in the US uh, who have shown interest in what we're building. So we have good traction coming from Europe and US at this point. The idea will be to start doing deployments and start establishing the presence in those markets in the coming year. Because the problem there is, let's say, labor constraint, labor shortage, uh, and, and they have a huge need to do automation. So we see a lot of synergy in what we are building and what they want. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think, as you mentioned, labor shortage, right, is, is a key thing, especially some of the European countries and whatnot. You know, we've learned a great deal about your space and your business uh, over the last 30 minutes or so. Uh, for someone who is contemplating maybe starting up in this space, right, a similar business uh, as such, what are some, you know, two or three very non-intuitive things that they will understand once they, you know, fall down you know, get up and realize, right, uh, from having executed in this space. What are those things that, those secrets that are revealed only to practitioners and uh, operators, right? Or what are some two or three of those things that they should be aware of? Uh, I think it's uh, it's better to uh, have the on-ground knowledge before you start building the product. Because in your mind, you might be thinking XYZ uh, product, but in reality, especially if you are building a hardware product, uh, the reality might be very, very different like on ground. Uh, you need to be aware of what you're building to for whom you're building. So have a very, very good market research done. 
uh, and and estimate the timeline uh, uh, of your product development uh, may not be an accurate estimate but have some reasonable time given for your given to your product development so yeah this is something which which i think um, should be taken into account when you are building a hardware startup you need to be patient you you can't uh, you can't have maybe revenues from the version one of a robot you need to have a lot of iterations it might take years to get to a commercialization so be ready when you want to uh, start something on the hardware front uh, the initial years might be might require a lot of patience but if you play it well then of course it can give you rewards on that note has fundraising become any simpler for you know your kind of startups i mean uh, because what do you show as traction right and what do you show in terms of reach and engagement and those kind of things right the conventional uh, like conventional software businesses for example you can't show any of those things so they're betting on potential right potential to execute uh, so how does the whole fundraising process work for you generally uh, we have we have been fortunate to have good investors on captable uh, people who understood the complexities and uh, why we are taking uh, whatever time we have taken uh, to commercialize i think so so it's it's the milestones are typically uh, in terms of initially it, the milestones are largely from the product and tech perspective like you had a version 1 then you had some feedback from customers you are progressing in terms of product journey uh, but towards the maturity of your product development cycle you need to show some kind of a indication or signals from the commercial point of view you need to have some paid pilots you need to have some contracts you need to have some orders in place uh, as i mentioned you can't build the product in silos and just have advancement in product and you don't have any customers so we had lois or customer interested uh, in our product uh, or concept from day one so before even we started the company i would say like before even we had a product in even a prototype so we had customers interested in what my concept or our cost concept was so it's it's better to have those milestones defined uh, and align your investors with it and show those tractions and ultimately people are looking at minimizing the risk so you minimize minimize the technology risk you show the proof that okay this you can build uh, you can deploy this on ground and then the next step is to commercialize it and to show the commercialization you start engaging with customers much earlier rather than going directly with the final version or maybe a, a kind of a mature version because people may have a lot of changes done and you'll end up spending all over like time all over, all over again uh, to to meet those requirements yeah so basically build with your customers and align your stakeholders to your vision right i mean because these folks are going to be part of the journey uh, for a long time with you yeah so 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 initially you may not have the metrics with, with like revenue metrics or mrr or arr metrics from year 1 uh, if your product is deep tech and it takes time but you need to have some metrics defined with your investors that these are the points which i will tick off in the next 12 months and i will try to minimize the risk of the venture right hey before we end the podcast uh, any books or other podcasts that you would recommend to our listeners generally i listen to blitz scaling uh, read offman uh, then books like so i have some a few of the books although i have yet to finish some of them but 0 to 1 uh, then there are a bunch of other books which i typically so within the startup phase so wherever so i always try to find books which can improve the efficiency or working style so generally i i try to try to buy those kind of books awesome Hey, this was a fascinating uh, chat, Pramod, and uh, thank you so much uh, for being on the podcast again, and uh, all the best for everything that you have coming up. Thank you, thank you, Roshan. It was a pleasure talking to you. 
in the park avenue powerpoint segment we review some of the highlights of this conversation number 1 pramod says when you're building a hardware product it's important to work with the customer getting feedback early on is really critical as it takes time to iterate between versions and the cost of rework can be really high pramod is very bullish about how robotics is growing in india he says access to cutting edge tech will become a lot easier costs will be lowered and all of this will drive adoption but pramod is also cautious about being overly optimistic and trying to automate everything he says you have to see tangible improvements in productivity accuracy speed or reducing touch points to really make the business case for automation well that's it folks uh, i hope you liked this episode if you did don't forget to rate and review us uh, it really helps more people discover our content i'll see you again on another episode of the startup operator podcast with another fantastic guest see you